Good morning, everyone. Morning, morning, and a big hello to those of you in the city campus and our online church as well. Um, it's been a while since I've been back on the pulpit, and it's my absolute privilege to be here to share with you guys this morning. Um, I also come with a level of mixed feelings because, as you guys know, this series that we've been embarking on is on spiritual maturity. So we've had the father of the house, Pastor Benny, preach the first three amazing sermons, and now for some reason you guys get the youngest kid in the preaching team wrapping up the whole series. But the Lord has His plans, um, and rather than perhaps having Pastor Benny in all his wisdom just wrap it up and paint us this beautiful picture, um, perhaps the Lord wants us to hear from someone who is struggling alongside you guys in this journey of growing in your maturity, um, perhaps even struggling more than many of you who are ahead of me uh, in this journey. Um, perhaps to show that this journey is pretty messy, um, often can be quite difficult, but it's definitely worth pressing on every single day. And something I want to acknowledge right from the beginning is that I only have a short time with you guys today. And there are many, many great points that should cover uh, this topic. As an example, if you want to grow in spiritual maturity, you must be ongoingly grounded in the Bible. I think we would all agree with that. But some of these fantastic points I unfortunately won't have time to cover. But instead, in the recent season, God's been showing me a couple of things that has really started to shape the way I walk with God myself. And I feel led to share a few of these points, um, if that's okay. And a, just a quick note before I start as well, uh, for those of you who actually find that this series is maybe a little over your head, maybe you feel like if you were to break it up into levels, that you're still very new in this journey. You consider yourself like a level two or level three in your faith, and you feel like this series is about those who are level nine trying to become a level 10. You know, if that's you, I just wanted to say that the interesting thing about following Jesus is that often the very things you learn to do at the beginning of your faith, they're not just foundational things that you graduate from, but they're actually essential things that you learn to keep doing again and again and again for the rest of your life. And that's how I feel about some of the points today as well, that regardless of whether you're in, where you're at in this journey, from the youngest to the oldest, um, these points are important. So tune in with me. I am super, super excited to share, and I trust that the Lord will use the little that I have to be a blessing to you guys. So allow me to pray for us. Lord, you are such a wonderful and holy God. And God, I pray that you will be exalted today, that there will be a greater hunger and desire to pursue more of you through this message. So God, refrain me from anything that I, I wanna say, but it's not from you. May this message reflect your heart for your people right at this moment. And anything else that you want me to say, give me the sensitivity to listen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Cool, so this morning, uh, I wanna start by sharing a little bit about the Apostle Paul. Paul is one of the most incredible followers to have ever lived in Christian history. And if we wanna learn something about spiritual maturity, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt to take a look a bit at his life. And I find him fascinating because despite his incredible achievements, his fruitful ministry, the fact that he had such a unique calling from God directly, he was confident, yet he was really, really humble. Not in the fake humility, kind of like a na na na, and he's just, oh, glory to God, you know, not like that, but like a genuine humility that you could see from the way he writes his letters. 
As an example, he was not shy in declaring the truth that he was chosen by God to be an apostle. That's a really big claim, which is true, but a really big claim to kind of tell other people. And to add to that, he was not afraid to list out his long list of achievements in Philippians 3 as a Pharisee, right? He was clearly confident in his calling. But at the same time, he considered these achievements nothing to brag about. He also called himself at the beginning of his life, uh, ministry, sorry, the least of the apostles. There were 13, so he considered himself the least of them, which is not a, not a big, big, you know, um, humble statement because there's only 13 of them in the entire world. But seven years later, growing in the Lord, seven years later, he started to call himself the least of the Lord's people the least of all Christians. This is Paul describing himself in that way. And then another four years later, near the, end of his, near the end of his life, about a year later, he would have passed away by then. At the peak of his spiritual maturity, he called himself the worst of all sinners. How is he able to be so confident to be the Lord's chosen one, yet also address himself as the worst of all sinners? The answer, I believe, is found in 1 Corinthians 1, 15, 10. And when he tells us what he thinks here, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Even though Paul worked harder than anybody else, he of all people could have bragged about all his ministry accomplishments in his life. But he had this deep conviction that he can take no credit for his maturity and anything that came out of his life because everything that was good in his life was a result of God's grace. It was God's undeserved favor over his life. It was none of him and it was all of God. So why is this important to talk about grace as we start this topic of heading towards spiritual maturity? Because even though I consider myself a fairly logical, methodical person, I love it when people give me step-by-step instructions on what I should do. Um, You know, one, wake up early. Two, drink a hot glass of coffee to wake yourself up. Three, read your Bible. Four, pray. These things are helpful, but I want to be clear that our journey towards spiritual maturity cannot be reduced to a mere list of just things to do. Spiritual maturity cannot be attained just out of self-effort and sheer determination. Yes, we do need to read our Bibles, pray, sit in the presence of God, serve, give, love. These things must happen. But actually, in the background, behind the scenes, it's the grace of God that is ongoingly filling us with the Holy Spirit that's supernaturally enabling us to do these things. John Piper once gave this really helpful analogy. He said that many years ago in a, in a marathon race in Minnesota, there was a wheelchair participant who was going all the way, 42 kilometers on his wheelchair. It was a really impressive feat. Near the end, not far to the finish line to go, one of his tires started to puncture. But he was so determined, because it was not long to go, that he decided to keep rolling on just his rims. And about five blocks away from the finish line, even the wheels started to buckle and the chair fell over. Some of the people in the audience that were cheering saw it happen, so they quickly ran inside, carried the chair, helped him back up, and then while they were sustaining the one side of the chair that was already buckled, they continued, they rang alongside him as he continued and finished the race. It was a really beautiful and emotional scene. It was a beautiful moment because the people sustained this participant to do what he could not have done alone. Without them, there was no way he could have finished this race. In some sense, grace can be likened to the people that were sustaining this wheelchair. 
that without God's grace, as much as we think we can, actually there's nothing we can do to do, finish what we need to do. But if we were to stop the analogy here, it will fall short. Why? Because as much as the people helped them finish the finish line, cross the finish line, we could say that the people only helped out right at the end, but the majority of the race was thanks and credits to the man's incredible upper body strength for pushing for the 41 kilometers, right? So actually, what God's grace is in this analogy is not just the people that sustain the wheelchair, but even the fact that God had given this man strength to begin with to actually participate in this race. So yes, we partner with God in everything that we do. Scripture makes that really clear, but it's not a 50-50. Behind our physical acts, it is always being accompanied by something spiritual and supernatural. As an example, you know, you and I are alive and awake today, not just because we had a good night's rest. That's the physical explanation. But you and I are alive and awake today because the God of the universe who has power and sovereignty over all lives is gracious and has given us life in our lungs to live another day. That's the spiritual reality that is coexistent with the physical reality. So in the same way, everything that we can try to do is actually being fueled by the grace of God that is helping us head towards spiritual maturity. Which is why when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter six, he included this really precious line, give us this day our daily bread. We often think that this is just referring to the ongoing physical provision of food to keep us physically sustained, like how he provided the manna for the Israelites, right? But actually Jesus is referring to how he will sustain us in every way, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, which includes giving us the grace that we need to continue with godly living. He's making it clear that his grace is not just this one soft event that saves us from our sin and then we forget about it, but it's this ongoing grace and sustenance that we need every single day for daily obedience. And one of the main ways that God extends this ongoing grace to Paul that we see in scripture is actually by giving him the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come and help us and be with us forever. It is the Holy Spirit that empowered and enabled Paul to do his ministry and to be the mature Christian that he is. And then here's a simple and really profound thought. If you take some time to just think about it. The same Holy Spirit that God gave to Paul is the same Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's the same Holy Spirit that we say lives in us. It's not something we can take lightly. If everything that Paul did was credit to what God has done by his grace through the Holy Spirit, and now we also have the Holy Spirit living through us, should we not have this deep sense of confidence and assurance that God can lead us towards spiritual maturity no matter our lack? And Pastor Dave made a really good point in the office earlier in the week. Um, he was saying how as much as we all theologically understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, functionally, practically, I think many of us still operate as if the Holy Spirit is just this supernatural force that occasionally just drops an insight, once in a blue moon. But when we say the Holy Spirit is a person, we're saying that He actually is in us, He is with us, He is present with us all the time. He is ongoingly guiding us, teaching us, empowering us every single moment of our lives. 
So to embrace this grace of God that he's given us, really, in order to grow in spiritual maturity, perhaps is just to be ongoingly submitted to the moment-by-moment guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So with this as kind of the bedrock, that there's nothing we can do to grow in spiritual maturity aside from relying on the grace of God and following the guidance of the Holy Spirit every day. There are two things that I would like to share today that the Holy Spirit has been teaching me um, in the recent season. The first is this, that we are to live every moment as holy. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse seven, God says to the Israelites, he says this, set yourselves apart and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep all my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. One of the core attributes that describes our God throughout scripture is that he is holy. By far the most number of descriptors uh, call him as holy. And to be holy does not mean, uh, sorry, to be holy means that he is set apart in his absolute purity, that there's nothing like him. There's not an ounce of sin or evil that presides in him. So when we say that God is holy, we are saying that he's not just holy during specific important moments, we are saying he is holy all the time, full stop, period. And of course, the same can be said about Jesus, who is the visible image of the invisible God. So what the Holy Spirit's been teaching me is that if Christ-likeness is the goal of spiritual maturity, and to reflect God's nature, who is always holy, that means that I must live a life where I treat every moment as holy as well. When the Israelites were, were given this command, it was in the context of them giving a whole heap of regulations and laws to make sure that in every moment they were clean and they were set apart from the nations around them. The same principle applies to us today. We can't just be holy during a Bible study discussion and then the moment the closing prayer is done and the night is wrapped up, we go straight to pantering and gossiping during refreshments. Neither can we appear all holy during a church service. And then the moment we go home, we watch a really questionable series on Netflix just because we find it entertaining. In more layman's term, we can't be two-faced. We can't have a more Christian version of ourselves in some moments and then be less Christian in the others. Remember how Pastor Benny talked about having a sincere faith? To have a sincere faith means that you're authentic and you're consistent in how you live your life. And the Holy Spirit, because He's present with us in every moment, He has been reminding me that time and time and time again. I'm the Vi pastor for this church, right? And I guess for those of you who might be newer to our family, um, that does not mean that I'm responsible for the, the good vibes of the church. Vive <laughs> um, is the age group um, of tertiary students of a ministry that I oversee and have the joy of leading. And one of the challenges of overseeing this specific age group of 18 to around 23-year-olds, um, and this might sound like a really obvious thing, so bear with me, but they stay at the same age. <laughs> but I've been leading in Vive for about eight years and I get older every year. And one of the things that I found is that as the age gap increases, the organic connection starts to be a little bit more difficult to form. 
what used to be really organic and regular and just easy because I was basically the same age and I'll be invited to their 18th and 21st birthday parties and all that, um, I no longer get invited to them. <laughs> um, and because I don't see them as much in these organic moments, um, in order to build a connection, I have to be, I've learned to be more intentional. But one of the ways that I've learned to be more intentional that I've found really helpful is to, to banter with them. <laughs> I make fun of them, they make fun of me, and then all of a sudden they see me as less of an authoritative and scary distant figure, and they see me as like a relational brother that they can, they can muck around with and have fun, and through that, trust. But the problem with banter, even if you're joking half the time, is that it's unwholesome. <laughs> and Ephesians makes it really clear that as Christians, we're not to let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful in building others up. And as I have these little moments of banter in the recent season, I've been catching the Holy Spirit nudging my heart to say, you don't get to choose when it's okay to be unwholesome just because your intent is a good one to connect out of love. This displeases me, and I want you to live in a more holy manner. And the more I catch myself in those moments as the Holy Spirit nudges me, the more I have to repent for the daily moments when I'm being unwholesome rather than being holy. And the same applies to all of us who desires to grow in this spiritual maturity journey. Whether it's unwholesome talk or something else altogether, bad driving habits, you know, the way we conduct ourselves before and after connect group, you know, maybe in the privacy of our bedrooms, just talking with our spouses. You know, any moment where we show the slightest impatience, frustration, anger, jealousy, it's not okay. We can't just live holy lives in selective moments where we are seen by the public but then in other moments, we act differently. That's being insincere and perhaps even immature in the expression of our faith. To grow in spiritual maturity, holiness should characterize our every waking moment. I mentioned earlier, right, that at the end of the day, it's not us trying, it's the grace of God that is fueling us in this journey. And even this Leviticus 27 passage reminds us of this exact truth. I don't know if you caught it, but right at the end, he says, I am the Lord who makes you holy. It's only by God's grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit can we live every moment as holy. So if we do grow in this area and then we reflect more of God in our holiness, then we have to praise God because it was all of Him and none of us. But at the same time, while that's my first point, it's also true, and I'm sure many of you experientially can agree to this, is that we will often fail to do so. Because none of us have perfected spiritual maturity and none of us live completely sinless lives. So that leads me to the second lesson that the Holy Spirit's been teaching me. The importance and beauty of repenting regularly. These two points kind of come hand in hand uh, because we don't become holy by trying harder. The, the funny thing about that, the counterintuitive thing about trying is that if we try to be holy, counterintuitively, that actually takes us further and further away from God. Because what that's doing is that we're becoming more self-dependent rather than God-dependent. So actually, our way to holiness is repentance. It's in repentance that we experience God's mercy and then we receive His grace and then we follow God afresh live in a more holy manner. The problem here is that often, many of us view repentance in a fairly negative light. None of us like being in trouble, 
you know, and repentance kind of feels like we're, we're, you know, in trouble before somebody, some figure of authority. And no one likes to feel like they're not good enough. And essentially, when you repent, you are acknowledging that you are not good enough. <laughs> but I want to take some time to unpack this. And I want to take some time to show you and give us, hopefully, a little paradigm shift that repentance is not this ugly, negative experience, but it's actually a really important thing to do regularly, but perhaps more importantly, a really beautiful thing. So three quick things I want to share about repentance this morning. The first one is this. Repentance is not just for the big sins, but we repent whenever the Spirit makes aware to us that we are one degree off. And the Vibe people have heard this analogy before, so sorry for repeating myself, but one of the really dangerous things that can happen to a pilot, especially back in the days when the technology wasn't as sound and when the planes were often smaller, is that when you're kind of traveling and flying in the sky and your sight is being obstructed due to heavy clouds, heavy rainfall, all of a sudden you can't see your surrounding and you can't follow the coastline. In that moment, if the pilot is unaware and he is just one degree off, but he doesn't realize and he continues to fly for about 1,000 kilometers, what started off as a very, very minor error becomes way, way, way off in the ocean. And then you read about it in the articles where these planes, as they try to make it back to shore, they end up crashing because they ran out of fuel. Why? Because they were one degree off, just one degree, but they never adjusted their course. In the same way, have you ever looked at your life, reflected on your journey, and you look back at the last couple months, maybe the last year, the last season of life that just was just so busy and just forgot about things. And you look back and you go, how did I get to this place where I'm so far from God? How have I, let's not even talk about spiritual maturity. How did I come to this place where I'm not just completely stagnant, but I've just completely fallen off the rails? It happens because we were one degree off, but we never took the time to realize and we never, we kept going and we did not take the time to repent and to readjust our course. Two weeks ago, Pastor Benny talked about having a good conscience, right, as a marker of spiritual maturity as well. If we don't repent regularly, what happens is that what these small mistakes that we, we consider as small, we start to start to overlook them and they weaken our conscience, and it gets weaker and weaker and weaker, and we no longer know what is right and what is wrong because we become so numb to sin. That's why we have to learn to repent regularly, because the more you repent, what happens is that the more you become and you remain sensitive to the corrections of the Holy Spirit every time He nudges and speaks to you, and the quicker you realign yourself back to the will of God. All the husbands in the room, just since, since it's Father's Day soon, uh, can I get you to just raise your hand up a little bit just so I can see how many husbands there are? Quite a few, praise God. Um, raise your, keep your hand up or actually raise it even higher if you agree with me in this statement that life is better when we're quick to realize we've made a mistake and we say sorry to our wives. <laughs> okay, good. Everyone's got their hands up. You can put your hands down. If you didn't, then uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's wise to keep short accounts with our wives. It's wiser to keep short accounts with God. So a healthy mark of maturity is someone who has the spiritual awareness to receive these corrections from the Holy Spirit and have the humility to repent 
when those promptings and nudges come. The second thing about repentance is this, that repenting well, like all other spiritual disciplines, is a journey of growth. Many of us know that repenting is not just about saying sorry, right? It's a change of heart where we are following sin because we are tempted and we repent and we have a 180 degree turn to follow God and start obeying Him. It's a change of life. That's why in Matthew 3, 8, it says this, that we have to prove by the way you live, not just by what you say, that you have repented from your sins and you've turned to God. But where we struggle is that often we are trying to repent. <laughs> we, are, we think we are genuine in our repentance. But then we ask ourselves, why is it that I'm still struggling with the same sin over and over again? Why do I still get easily frustrated? Why am I unable to let go of my bitterness? Why am I still struggling and battling lust? Why is it so hard to stop gossiping? If I'm still struggling with the same sin, does that mean my repentance wasn't genuine? And then we get discouraged because not only are we struggling in sin, now we're struggling with how to repent properly and it discourages us even more. And I know that's a challenge that many of us grapple with. And Pastor Amos brought up this great analogy, so credits to him if this hits home for you. But say in a really uh, hypothetic, hypothetic, hypothetical, <laughs> um, incredibly unrealistic scenario. Okay, I'm gonna pick on someone. I'm gonna pick on Uncle David, one of the nicest guys in the planet Earth. Okay, say in a super unrealistic scenario, as I'm preaching right now, which I am doing, Uncle David just walks up the stage for no reason, comes up to me and just gives me a big slap on the face, okay? One, it would be a really strange scenario. Uh, the two, he would have done something wrong and Auntie Ruth would definitely be telling him off in the car ride home later. <laughs> but as a reasonable, mature adult, once he has been corrected, we can assure you that Uncle David will never repeat that mistake again, right? But in comparison to that, I have a couple nephews on my in-law side who I absolutely love, and they are the definition of energetic. And every now and then, they'll just push one another, and then they'll start crying, and you have to tell them off. And then you tell them off, and in that moment, they're like four, five, six. So in that moment, they're really apologetic. They're really sad because they know the gravity of their mistake. So they're even crying. Like, I'm so sorry, and I'm so sorry. But then five minutes later, they're just like running around and pushing each other again, and then the cycle repeats for like the next 50 times over one family dinner. <laughs> Why is that? Was their apology not genuine? Well, in some cases, it probably wasn't because they're just trying to say sorry to get out of trouble. But in some cases, I've seen it, that they were genuine. You could see it in their eyes that they were really sorry. But they're still children. They're still learning how to behave. They're still learning how to have better self-control to not repeat the same mistakes again and again. In the same way, I think many of us are comfortable with the idea that learning to read your Bible better takes time. It's a journey. Learning to pray better is also a journey. I'm here to suggest that perhaps repentance is also a journey in itself. Some of us may have been Christians for many years, but we don't realize that perhaps in some areas of our lives, we're still spiritual children, and we don't know how to have the self-control in these areas, and therefore our repentance is also requiring a learning journey as well. But in the same way that you would not just give up on Bible reading altogether just because you read a passage and didn't understand it one day, because you know that over time, God will reveal truth to you, right? In the same way, repentance, don't give up on it just because at the moment it feels like it's difficult and not much fruit is coming out of it because over time, God will help you. The third and last thing I wanna say about repentance 
is this, that it's a beautiful thing that leads to God's mercy. Far from being this negative experience, not only is repentance important, but it's also really beautiful. And I want us to capture this today, that the beauty of repentance, and I wanna share a story of Peter that will hopefully make this more clear. Jesus was really gracious to Peter. And we see this in many examples, but the one I wanna highlight today is the mirror event between one of Peter's first encounters with Jesus and one of Peter's last encounters with Jesus. In Luke chapter five, in one of Peter's first encounters with Jesus, um, what happens is the famous story that many of us are aware of. Peter was fishing all night, he caught nothing, and then Jesus out of nowhere appears, well actually he was there, sorry. He was there for a little while, he sees the event, and then he goes, throw your net to the other side. And then Peter obeys and there's this miraculous catch of fish. We, re we remember that story, right? When that happens, Peter has a realization of who Jesus might be. So then his response, and I want you to catch this, in Luke chapter five, he says, Lord, go away from me, I am a sinful man. Go away from me, I am a sinful man. In the presence of pure holiness, he did not want to draw near. But a couple years later, after Jesus had died on the cross, resurrected, and started appearing to his disciples again, John 21 records an almost identical event. Peter, thinking that he's lost Jesus and lost all hope, he's fishing again. And again, there's been no catch for the whole night. And then Jesus is out on the beach and he says, throw your nets down again. And he's a bit far in the distance so the disciples don't immediately recognize him yet, but they follow the instruction. They throw the net down once more. Immediately, there's a huge catch of miraculous fish. Then they realize it's Jesus. And remember the first response Peter had here? Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. What happens in John 21 is that the moment Peter realizes it is the Lord, he puts on his tunic, he dives down into the water because he can't wait for this boat that is lugging a heavy load of fish because he can't wait to swim to shore and to swim towards Jesus. Why is his response so different? Is it because in three years of growth, Peter considers himself more holy and more acceptable in Jesus' presence? I would argue that cannot be the case. Why? Because a few days ago, Peter just committed the greatest sin of his life. He denied Jesus three times. But I think what happened is that three years of following Jesus, he now knows so much better the heart of God, a God who desires for us to draw near in the state of our sin and imperfection, even if we are so far from God, because he is a merciful, and compassionate God. And I wanna finish off this story because this part is so nice. Peter gets to the beach and what's incredible is that the Bible specifically records that Jesus had prepared breakfast for him. Fish cooking over a charcoal flame. The only other time throughout the entire scripture where they referenced the phrase charcoal flame was in John chapter 18, 18, the exact spot and place where Peter had denied Jesus three times. Using the exact symbol that would have symbolized his betrayal, his sin, his mistake, Peter, no Peter, sorry, Jesus turned it around to use it to prepare breakfast, which in their culture symbolizes invitation, a desire for the other person to draw near to you so that what? 
you can offer acceptance. Through the symbol of betrayal, Jesus turned it around to say, even with this in mind, I am gonna accept you because I am a merciful and compassionate God and I have already paid the price of your sin. So this morning, I wanna remind us that the same invitation that was given to Peter is the same beautiful invitation that is offered to each and every one of us today. Whenever we wanna draw near to Him, Jesus desires that. As we try our utmost to be spiritually mature and we try to live every moment as holy, but in times when we fail and we need to repent, in that moment, what we rightfully deserve is judgment and condemnation. But what God gives us instead is mercy. Lamentations 3 reminds us that God's mercy is new every morning. So far from being afraid or ashamed or guilty to draw near to God when we sin, we should find great delight because repentance is this beautiful opportunity for us to receive His beautiful grace, embrace it, receive His grace so that we can follow God afresh. So in our journey, let's live every moment as holy and let's repent regularly. And as I come to end, um, I'll ask perhaps um, two groups of people to respond, um, one group at a time. So the first group I would like to speak to is this. If you are actually still on this journey where you don't consider yourself a Christian yet and you are actually still exploring Christianity and exploring Jesus, I wanted to say that this topic of repentance is not just for the believers who are seeking maturity, but it's just as relevant uh, to you as well. The good news that Jesus came to say was actually to repent for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus, who is God in flesh, He came and died on the cross for your sins so that your relationship with God can be made right again and that you can have enjoyed this eternal relationship with our holy God in His presence for all eternity. And the condition to be saved is not that you work harder to be a perfect person because that's an impossible standard to attain, but it's actually to repent and to believe that when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is enough, it is enough for you. And then you learn to trust Him as your Lord and Saviour. What Jesus offers is not something you can earn, but it's a free gift that we can freely receive. So with all eyes closed, if that's okay, if you do not yet consider yourself a Christian, or perhaps you've fallen away from the faith over the years, but your heart for some reason is strangely stirring inside you right at this moment to ask you to repent before God and to place your faith in Jesus today, can I encourage you that this is the best decision you can make in our limited time here on earth because this decision affects your eternity. So if that's you, with all eyes closed, can I get you to raise your hand up high so that I can acknowledge it and pray for you? If that's you, can I get you to raise your hand up high? Is there anyone who would like to accept Jesus for the first time today? Okay, that's okay. I'll get everyone to open up their eyes. Actually, you can all stand um, if that's okay. Um, now for the rest of us, the church family, 
there is a response for us as well. For this one, as much as it might be troublesome for some of you who are a bit further back, I would actually like, if this is for you, I would like you to respond by making your way all the way down to the front to respond right by the, by the front here. This is for those of you who, as you hear this message, you feel like, yes, Lord, there are areas that I have not repented. Maybe I've kind of left it thinking I will repent when things get worse. But as the message went on, you felt the Spirit stir to say you're already multiple degrees off. If that's you in your pursuit of spiritual maturity and in your desire to live holy lives, and you realise because the Spirit has been making aware that you are several degrees off, can I encourage you to draw near to the presence of God and experience His mercy and receive His grace so that you can follow Him afresh. And I pray that you will not try to do this out of your own efforts, that you will not let simple hindrances stop you from this desire to draw near to God. So let me pray for us and then we'll sing a song and then we'll respond. Father God, may the beauty of Your mercy capture us afresh so that nothing will hinder us from desiring to draw near to You to repent for anything where we are not living in accordance to Your will. So Holy Spirit, I believe You've already prompted the hearts of the people who need to repent. So continue to prompt them and give them the courage to obey. And I pray that this will be an experience for them to start this journey of moment by moment guidance of being led by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.